Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. hostess tonight we're gonna crack open our paranormal passport and head back to new orleans or nolens nala n-o-l-a <laughs> so i have been to new orleans i've been there once many 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 moons ago to the crescent city and it, this, I'm certain I said this in the original recording, that there is so much going on in this town. I could do a second episode. And so here we are. And, you know, I know that we released X-Men first. Normally we do the paranormal itinerary travel information first, and then we do a crime or something related to that town afterwards. But, you know, sometimes when you go out on treasure hunts and (laughs) you kind of forget what you got to get done because you're packing that shovel, sometimes you just don't get everything accomplished before before you leave. So... So, yeah, so that's how come we had the Axeman released last week. But let's talk New Orleans. I mean, you know, once again, I've just really had my pick. And, you know, the other thing about New Orleans is that they just have amazing things going on. If you go to their official tourist website, they have a calendar for events, and they just... They just have a list of all the fun, festive things that are going to transpire over the summer. But for now, if you are intending to go anytime soon, let's talk about some of the places you can visit, paranormally speaking, on your next trip. We're going to start off with the old Absidian, Absinthe House. So... We are talking about the mysterious elixir, the green elixir that supposedly drives people crazy, has the potential to, you know, destroy people's minds and make them serious addicts. The old Efsinian, I'm just going to mispronounce it, house was originally built over 200 years ago in 1752 in the French Quarter. Historically speaking, it was allegedly the meeting place for General Andrew Jackson and the infamous New Orleans pirate, John Lafitte. And in case you weren't familiar with why these people are important, during the War of 1812 with 
you know, the Americans fighting the British for a second time. The Battle of New Orleans actually becomes kind of a waste because the British and the Americans kind of came to an agreement because the British, they didn't want to divide their forces and they were starting a war with France and they were like, well, we're already kicking the Americans' ass and we burnt their White House and this and that. You know, we're just going to let it go. And they did. But unfortunately, because there was no Instagram or text messaging, basically instant information, the Battle of New Orleans commenced. And it was General Andrew Jackson, who would later become President Andrew Jackson, that led this battle. And it is believed that Andrew and the feet who were working together to defeat the British, and they actually did win the Battle of New Orleans, they reportedly met on the second floor of the old F. Sibian house, and Jackson agreed to release Lafitte's army of pirates from prison and grant full pardons to anyone who would join the battle against the British. And so that's what Lafitte did. And sure enough, them swamping the swamps and surrounding waters proved to be very beneficial during the Battle of New Orleans. Now, unfortunately, the original house that was built in 1752 was destroyed in the fire of 1788, the Great Friday Fire. Eighteen years later, in 1806, two Spaniards, a Pedro Front and a Francisco Wacadela, Juan Cadela, who actually was operating a grocery store in that spot for 40 years, reconstructed the Abyssinian house. And by 1846, this drink became immensely popular in New Orleans, and so much so that the business Alexis Coffee House wanted to take over the site to meet basically the growing demands of the, the clientele. Now, why a coffee house? Well, it was said that when you went to a cafe for coffee and or a coffee house, that's where you went to get your other vices. Coffee houses worked similarly in Louisiana as they did in Europe and in so that other vices generally referred to the obsidian or alcohol or drugs. So Alexis's coffee house just took off and tourists who visit New Orleans, you know, begin checking out the, the, the place, spending the nights, basically drinking their nights away there. And then once dawn hit, they would head off to the drops. Again, this drink was immensely popular and one of the reasons why people were afraid of it was because of how addictive it was. Now, in 1874, the coffee house gets renamed to the Obsidian Room. That's why we know it. When the mixologist, see they had mixology going on back in the 18 in the 1870s, guys. When the mixologist Cayento Ferrero creates what he calls the Obsidian House Frappe. See, there was frappes going on before Starbucks took off with it. And this just heightens 
the obsidian popularity. People are just like, oh my God, now it's in a frappe form. Vente macchiato with some extra whipped cream. <laughs> However, then came prohibition. And of course, the authorities, as a means of dealing with this alcohol, threatened to burn down the building. So the owners of the Ascidian Room had the bar operations moved to a secret location located a few blocks down Berber Street to, a, to an abandoned warehouse, and there they just continued business as usual. After the after probation ended, the Ascidian House returned to its old place of business and continued to operate since. So this place being like one of the hot spots, I mean, we're talking for hundreds of years, some of the celebrities who have visited here, we're talking Oscar Wilde, Walt Whitman, Mark Twain, pirates such as Lafitte, politicians, Robert E. Lee, Franklin Roosevelt, Frank Sinatra, and the likes of Liza Minnelli. But who is still haunting the place? So they believe that the ghost of Jean Lafitte himself is there hanging out. He's checking out what's going on. And they recognize him because he is wearing his pirate hat. And they hear weird sounds, weird bouts of laughter, and a lot of carousing going on. It's like, that's just John. He's just living large on the other side. Not only that, not only do they see Lafitte, but they also believe that they're seeing the ghost of Andrew Jackson, as well as Marie Laveau and Benjamin Butler, who... In case you don't know, he was a major general in the Civil War who would eventually become the governor of Massachusetts. Besides them, besides these famous ghosts, it is believed that a woman in a long white dress has been seen and felt. They have seen and heard a child running around the third floor. And with regards to non-spectral activity, so basically paranormal activity without a ghost, people have felt a sudden drop of temperature. People have heard doors opening and closing on their own. Bottles, glasses, and chairs have been known to move about the bar on their own accord. And of course, mysterious whispers from unseen sources have been heard. Okay, moving on to the St. Louis Cathedral. Now that we've talked about the sinning, let's talk about the Place of Saints. The first building used as the cathedral was destroyed thanks to a hurricane in 1722. The second building that was used as the cathedral gets burned down to the ground in New Orleans Good Friday fire in 1788. That was also the same fire that destroyed the old obsidian building. And the third building gets built in 1794, but by the mid-1800s, the people who attended the church wanted to enlarge the church, and so the final version of it went up in the 1850s, just right before the Americans of War. So, what saintly ghosts are haunting this church? Well, believe it or not, the most famous ghost associated with St. Louis Cathedral is that of Pierre Antoni. Pierre was a Spanish Cuchon friar, and basically, he steps foot in 1774, and he's named Pastor. And thanks to his kind and generous nature towards the people, and, you know, he's just a really good guy, and he's very well liked until his death on January 19, 1829, P 
people believe that he is still hanging around. And they know it's him or believe that it's him because they see his the, his actual ghost and they're like, oh my God. And they point to like a portrait that's still in the, the cathedral. And they're like, that's the ghost. That's the guy I saw. Now, he likes to hang around, like I said, the, the cathedral. And he can mostly be seen, his favorite time of year to be seen is actually around the holidays. I don't blame him. Christmas is pretty rocking. And his most common sightings, the area of his most common sightings, would be like near the altar or on the balconies. And it has also been said that people have spotted his ghost wandering the city as well, which makes sense. If he's really McChillin' in the afterlife, He's still checking out the city that he loved. I mean, he 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 didn't fly. He he sailed thousands of miles to be there and basically died there. Now, he's actually not alone. He is joined by another pastor, a pastor by the name of Pierre Dag- Dagobert. It's Dagobert, your guess. Now, he arrived in 1745. And he, too, is checking out his parishioners. And they say on quiet evenings after worship, he can be seen walking up and down the aisles of the cathedral with his head down to the ground, walking silently in his sandals. So he's still sporting, you know, the flip-flops on the other side. Now, there are even people who say the, the Dauphine Lalori can be seen in the cathedral. And while she did actually worship... In the cathedral in the 1800s, it's kind of doubtful that her ghost is haunting the St. Louis Cathedral. Now, the other thing that's going on here is because they see other ghosts. They actually believe the original church or the final placement of the church was buried on top of a burial ground. You know how, you know, the church likes to just plop their stuff on other people's uh, sacrilegious places. Because that's what the Catholic Church did back then and probably still does now. I don't know. Either way, it is believed that many people can see and felt the souls of the original people who were buried there that are still haunting the cathedral to this day. All right, let's talk about the Gemani House. Now, this place is kind of interesting. Located on the second floor, it was called the Upstairs Lounge, and it was a well-known gay bar slash club. And people knew about it. It was kind of like, that's where you go. And, I mean, we're talking uh, a time way before 2023 where we now have Gay Pride Month and things of that nature to celebrate. Now, again... Back in the 60s and 70s when, when this was not necessarily acceptable to the main masses. Sadly, on June 24th in 1973, some, someone, some, someone supposedly unknown or persons or persons set fire to the building as is literally celebrating Pride Week. And they were actually celebrating Pride Week by providing free beer and dinner to about 120 to 
25 patrons because they would hold like a church sessions there. They would have church sessions for people who were gay and gay and lesbians there as well. And the church was hosting this. And sadly, when this person set fire, the fire ended up killing 32 patrons of the bar. So, there 29 ended up dying on site. Three would later succumb to their injuries after they were rescued. And then, and this is a horrible scenario. This was literally an inferno. It was a madhouse inferno. Some, like I said, some people made it out using an unmarked exit doors. Others were literally trying to squeeze through barred windows. And like in the instance of, this is actually really terrible, in the instance of Pastor Bill Larson, he was trying to squeeze out a window when he got trapped and the window ended up falling on his torso, sticking him half in and half out the window. And he basically ends up burning to death, literally on fire right in front of all the patrons, the people inside and the patrons and people outside. So needless to say, this is just a horrific moment that literally gets burned into the memory of this place. And even the owner, James Masakusi, which I'm butchering probably, he put up his own money as a reward for the capture of the arsonist, but the police's one reported suspect ended up killing himself in 1947. Again, I just, I don't know. I, I don't really have a lot of faith in the fact that they were looking really hard in 1970s for somebody who who did this. But either way, with this horrible history and carnage, of course this place is haunted. So people who visit the Jamani Bar are said to sometimes feel and hear the people who lost their lives are like the ghosts are still there. They've heard sounds of whispers from nowhere no explanation they've had experiences with inexplicable icy chills so drop in temperatures they have smelled faint smells of burning hair and burning flesh there are also reports of full body operations on the second floor where the lounge the upstairs lounge once operated and even the son has shared a story when he was at the bar and his friends stop by and they hear this really strange noise even though the bar is actually closed. And they go and they investigate the sound and the sound is basically like rattling chains from an old elevator shaft. But the thing is, is that the chains of the elevator doesn't actually swing and rattle by themselves. And Jimmy would, would say, while we were looking the, the air would be ice cold, and Jimmy and his friend got the hell out of there. So just, I've said this before and I'll say it again, places where horrible, horrific moments have occurred do leave their marks. But moving on from that you know terrible moment in time, let's talk about the haunted mortuary that just straight be kicking it during the Halloween season. So so let's talk about that. So the this building, which is actually a home, it was built in 1872 by Mary Slathery. 
And she lived there until 1905 until she and her daughter died of yellow fever and then the family sold it. And it operated as a mortuary for almost 80 years. But believe it or not, they don't think it's the, the, the mortuary is the sole reason why it is haunted. And, I mean, I had the opportunity to reach out to them. And, you know, this should tell you how sometimes I don't really pay attention to what I'm doing. So I started doing this research on the mortuary house, and it was Father's Day. And I'm like, oh, my God, this place sounds amazing. So I go to call, and this gentleman by the name of Lance answers, and he's kind of hesitant to talk. And I'm, like, on the other end trying to figure out why, and it dawned on me that it was Father's Day. And he's like, yeah, I'm at my dad's. <laughs> Can you call me tomorrow? And I was like, oh, my God. So kudos to Lance for answering my phone the following day because he was able to provide me with a lot of amazing things that are going on there. So, like I said, it used to be a mortuary. Today it operates as a haunted house during the Halloween season. They did used to do tours. No, not so much. But he said that there's so much activity going on it's noises, it's that feeling of, you know, you're not alone, it's the things in the corner of your eyes, it's just overwhelming just with all the entities. So he also pointed me in the direction of a YouTube video. There, It runs about, I think, a half an hour that I checked out regarding the hauntings that are going on at this particular mortuary. So let's talk about what's going on. They hear the sounds of screaming when, like, they're by themselves. In one instance, a couple of employees heard the sound of dragging something down the stairs, and it kind of was the same sound as a coffin being dropped, you know, dragged down the stairs or dragged up the, the stairs as well. And it is also said that in the 30s, there was a incidents where a woman in white was a fool operation and she you know asked somebody have you seen my husband and then she disappeared they believe that that could potentially be mary the lady who built it in in the 1970s an undertaker actually died accidentally when he fell and hit his head and he continues to go to work there in the afterlife people have reported seeing him just you know undertaking <laughs> Still, at the mortuary, it is said that the embalming room is the most haunted room in the house, and that makes a lot of sense because that's kind of where the transition of the body really takes place. And it is believed that the mortician, a former mortician, is still hanging around, a gentleman by the name of Samuel. They also believe that two small children, a young boy named Daniel, and a young girl, and they, they're not really sure about her name. They, it, her name is either Agnes Elizabeth or Esther Elizabeth. And they hear them running around giggling and laughing. They have ample experiences with EVPs, people laughing, little girl laughing. In, and they've even got what they believe to be Daniel, the little boy, telling s well, somebody to stop. The children like to play pranks. They like to whistle. They have seen things move on their own accord. And there's even an old man in blue pajamas that likes to stand in the corner. 
two employees actually saw him together at the same time. And like I said, Henry, the caretaker, is still hanging around. He's apparently a ladies' man, a little bit of a drinker, and he likes to uh, still take a drink at the bar. So just an amazing variety of things going on. But above all, Lance actually shared a story in the YouTube video of how he was just walking around and just snapping off pictures, and he ended up getting a picture of a full-body little girl bending and looking around. I think she's looking around a clock or something. But, I mean, you can see the picture, and it is truly, truly impressive. And so one of the things that he shared is, is that a lot of people get the impression just going through the haunted house that something more is definitely going on there. And, in fact, they've had clairvoyants and psychics come through and confirm basically what they're seeing and hearing. And this place has been visited by such paranormal groups such as ghost hunters. So we're talking a tremendous amount of activity and a tremendous amount of uh, just... I'm surprised they actually don't provide, like, overnight, you know, group haunts, hunt, you know, opportunity to haunt, but for some reason they don't. Either way, so yes, if you are curious or interested, would like to check it out during their haunted house season, they do do haunted houses, again, during Halloween. All right, moving on from there, let's talk about where you could stay because when you go, I mean, I shared my experience at the Andrew Jackson hotel, I believe the last time we talked. And I mean, it just seems like ghost, ghost, ghost everywhere on every corner. And I just kind of wanted to share if you're interested. I mean, maybe you just feel like after doing all these ghostly places, you want a peaceful place. And if that's a fact, then you're going to want to avoid the next two hotel recommendations. Number one, let's talk about the Hotel St. Pierre. Aside from being haunted, it is actually one of the oldest buildings in the city. So, what is happening at this hotel? People have reported the sensation or feeling that someone is sitting on their bed and actually caresses them, so caresses their skin. People have heard the sounds of footsteps when they're otherwise alone and know for a fact that nobody is there. And so, who's hanging out? Well, some people actually think it's the ghost of Confederate soldiers, and others actually believe it is the spirit of the former owners of the property. So, and, you know, the Confederate soldiers actually make sense simply because of the Civil War. Now, another haunted hotel is the Hotel Monteleon. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's located on Royal Street. And this place is actually famous for its carousel bar, as well as its tremendous amount of spirits that have remained permanently, even in the afterlife, at the hotel. So, who's haunting this hotel? We'll start with the 13th floor. Apparently, a lot of children who had yellow fever were in this hotel, this space, and died. And so now... People can hear the kids running around. They can hear them laughing. In particular, people have reported hearing the footsteps of a Maurice Bigere, who 
who's like the youngest ghost child who haunts the hotel. Now, the bar is considered a paranormal hotspot for ghosts to actually appear and then disappear, but quickly. They have seen ghosts walking the halls and the main entrance. It's like super common. But more specifically, people have identified a former employee by the name of Red, a engineer by the name of William Wiedemer, and it is believed that there's a 10-year-old boy that often likes to play hide-and-go-seek with another entity. And <laughs> to top it all off, there's a pervy guy who likes t- to appear in people's rooms over the New Orleans Mardi Gras season wearing only, ladies, only a feathered mask, like totally naked everywhere else, and then he disappears. And, you know, like you get all startled and he gets his little kicks, his pervy kicks that way. They also believe that the ghost of a clockmaker is still hanging around. He likes to work on the giant grandfather clock in the lobby. And it is said you can actually find him at different times during the night. And, I mean, there's just so many, and there's just so many things that the hotel staff can tell you about, including people have reported seeing the spirits. And there's even a scenario where a jazz singer is uh, could, could be heard wailing in the middle of the night as well. So clockmakers, jazz singers, and... There's even a lost child who will ask you for help, even taking your hand and looking at you, making eye contact with with you before disappearing right then and there. And it is believed that the, again, I don't know if this is the same kid or not, but it is believed that a boy named Maurice is said to roam the 14th floor, which is in reality the 13th floor because, you know, in America, we don't have 13 floors because of superstition in hopes he'll ask you to help him find his parents. And it is unfortunate because Maurice had died quite suddenly. So it could be the same kid. I'm not sure. Either way, it sounds like this place is rocking and rolling literally all night long with ghostly entities. Okay, so that is what I have for you tonight. On to business. Actually, before we go on to business, I do want to remind everybody that the the podcast for the Dark Corners are is sponsoring a trivia night in Susanville, California, at the Bottle and Brush. It's like a bar, wine bar, but like paint night happens there too, and it's located on Main Street on July thirteenth at six thirty. If you are if you are curious and interested, you may want to get there kind of soon. In fact, I had the opportunity to speak with the owner today, and he had made mention that he might have sign-ups. So if you are curious and interested and want to attend, it might be a good idea to kind of like their Facebook page simply because they will have the link. Excuse me. They will have the link to the trivia to sign up and prepay to secure your your spot in the trivia game. And it's my understanding that myself, the polar bear, the panda, Brutus, and thing one, thing two, Slashers with Samantha will be there. So if you're curious or interested and want to meet us, say hello. 
Let us know of any ideas you have because we're always welcoming, you know, we, we always welcome suggestions. You know, we'll be there. And I will be wearing my my trademark pearls. <laughs> I'm a little pink bow. All right. So, but back to business. Uh, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. We have a Facebook page if you're curious and or interested and would like to join, send a request. In the meantime, if you have a place or a serial killer that you would like us to do an episode on, send me the requests at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So, until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are.